0: Hello and welcome to Stars, Cells, and God, the show where we discuss new discoveries taking place at the frontiers of science that have theological and philosophical implications as well as new discoveries that point to the reality of God's existence. I'm Jeff Zwerink, and today I'll be your guide as we explore the topic of AI and ethics. Before I get into the discussion, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, Reasons to Believe. Click on the bell icon so that you can be informed of our new videos, learn more about reasons.org, or by following us on social media at RTB Official. Well, it's good to be here today. I'm excited about our conversation. We're going to be talking about ethics and AI. We're joined by Sean Aish, who's a member of our scholar community. Sean, it's good to have you here today.
1: It's good to be here, Jeff.
0: So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how did you get interested in artificial intelligence?
1: Yeah, so uh, my PhD is in computer engineering and uh, I work at a national lab where I both evaluate and develop artificial intelligence algorithms. Now, one of the reasons I got interested in AI ethics is that Wycliffe Bible Institute was having a conference where they brought together Christian organizations who wanted to use AI um, for various applications. And I was asked to give a talk at that conference on the ethics of artificial intelligence. And of course, in my daily work, I think about, I deal with the ethics of AI because I'm using it. But uh, when I really dug in at this conference, so what what are the implications of Christianity for AI ethics. Uh, That's really what kind of sparked, sparked my passion uh, being in that context uh, to get deeper into the ethics of artificial intelligence.
0: Well, that, that, that's kind of interesting because you know, you're, you're, what you're describing uh, parallels a little bit of my, I, I don't have near the involvement in AI, but I've been playing around with computers and programming a lot. And I find it fascinating what it takes to program computers to do things that are relatively trivial for the human mind to do. But um, one of the things that I found is that I have this kind of uh, fascination with new technology, but also this... Uh, hesitation to adopt new technology at the same mm. time. yeah, and uh, Not really a Luddite, but it, there's just this part where I see there's this great promise of new technology, but also perils that come along. And it sounds kind of like that's what you're thinking in there. Is that a reasonable way to think about it?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think so, Jeff. And that actually slides really nicely into kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, and one of the things I'm going to say uh, at least once is that you don't have to use artificial intelligence. And this is something that uh, maybe we think using artificial intelligence is inevitable, but actually it's not, Uh, we have a choice. So as humans, we can choose to say, no, we don't need to use AI for this application. And really um, the big takeaway that I want people to come away with today. So if you guys listening, don't remember anything else, Um, AI is happening, it's all around you, whether it's helping you choose what you're going to watch next on your streaming service, or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, driving the car next to you on the road, or whether it's deciding whether you get a loan, or whether you get, you know, your job application makes it through to the next step, AI is everywhere. Um, And as Christians, uh, you and I, we need to be part of the discussion, of ethical AI. what? How do we use artificial intelligence in a way that it benefits humanity, people made in God's image instead of hurting them? And um, kind of at the center of the talk today is not just you need to think about this, it's also I'm gonna try to give you some tools to help you think about it. So the big idea for today in terms of kind of helping you understand how to think about this is that AI has lots of different contexts and we'll get into that during the talk. But in order to think intelligently about AI ethics, Jeff, you really need to have at least a basic understanding of these different contexts in which AI occurs or what I call the context of AI.
0: Well, that, that's a good point. And you know, one of the things that I found as I started investigating AI is my original, I mean, you know, when you said, when I think AI, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, and this is gonna date me back into the '80s. You know, you're thinking Daryl, or you're thinking uh, R2D2, or Johnny Five <laughs> from Short Circuit. It's it's these sentient beings that are originally computers. That something happens, jogs their memory, uh, messes up their circuitry, and they become sentient and aware. And now these questions of how do you integrate them into, into everyday life. Uh, But as I looked at it, I realized there's a lot more breadth of what is termed AI these days. And, uh, you know, your your statement that AI is here doesn't resonate with the, ooh, you know, short circuit, Johnny Five isn't here, but AI is here. So maybe spend a little bit of time, if you will, telling us what are these different contexts or when, when people say AI, what does that actually mean at this point in time?
1: Yeah, Jeff. No, that's a great point. And let's go ahead and clarify kind of upfront what AI can mean uh, to different people. So on the slide on the screen, you guys will see kind of a a common illustration uh, for artificial intelligence versus machine learning and deep learning. So AI, a lot of times when people say that, what they really mean is general artificial intelligence. And, you know, Jeff, what general artificial intelligence is, is what you were just describing. It's a robot or some type of computer program that has experienced what is often called a singularity, where suddenly it it becomes conscious, it becomes sentient. And that's not what I'm going to be talking about today. (laughs) So (laughs) most of the time, that's not what we're talking about, you know, C3PO or R2D2. In reality, usually when you hear AI and it's actually being used, they're really talking about machine learning. And a good example of what machine learning does is tell the difference between a picture of a cat and a dog or of a car and the sky. So if you're trying to drive you know, self-driving cars, if you're trying to not hit another car, you need to tell the difference between a car and maybe blank space. So what machine learning is being used to do is specific applications, whether that's driving a car, image recognition, facial recognition, those types of things. We're not really talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking about applying these algorithms that can do things more efficiently than humans, or at least as efficiently in some cases.
0: So th- this this strikes me as, uh, you know, going back to the the 80s and 90s, there was this big push to teach computers how to play chess, play chess well enough to beat a human. So we we built computers that could by some sort of algorithm, some sort of learning, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's many tools involved in that. But eventually, these computers learned how to play chess and could play it better than humans. So when we're applying AI now, we're talking about uh, building algorithms, machine learning, deep learning that can recognize cats and dogs better than at least as well as better or better than people. That's the sort of stuff we're talking about right right now.
1: Or play chess or do robotics or fly a drone, (laughs) you know, a a flying aircraft, um, those types of specific applications. So it's it's not this general artificial intelligence where it can think like a person, where it can do lots of different things. It's very task specific, I would (laughs) say, whether that's playing chess or, you know, we had AlphaGo where... uh, you know, DeepMind created this algorithm that can beat the world's best Go players or best StarCraft players, right? So these these very kind of application-specific applications, I would
0: say. So it seems to me, you know, so you got these specific AIs, if you will, things that could play chess or go or drive a car. Um, is so if you know, I've always often heard the term artificial narrow intelligence used for that. That it's like there's this deep learning, uh, you know, machine learning that's built into that, that helps it do that. Is an artificial general intelligence just enough of those put together that it becomes broad enough? Or is there some further distinction there?
1: Yeah, so I would encourage anyone who's listening um, to read the uh, essay by Alan Turing, who was a British mathematician and cryptographer who is most well-known for cracking the Enigma code in World War II that the Nazis were using to communicate back and forth, but in that essay, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, Alan Turing tries to answer the question, um, what does it mean for a machine to be able to think? And uh, what he says, he, he proposes this thing called the imitation game, because he says the question, can a machine think, is he says it's basically impossible to answer. And what the imitation game is, it's often called the Turing test, is you have a computer and a human, and they're both talking to a third human. And if that third, if the second human, I guess, if if the second human can tell the difference between the human and the computer, then the computer doesn't pass the Turing test. But if the human can't tell the difference, then it does. Um, and Alan Turing argued that that would be a type of general artificial intelligence. Um, Now, there are some religious, there are a lot of objections to the Turing test implying artificial intelligence. So, some of the fun ones, for example, as a Christian or as someone who's religious, you might say, well, a machine can't have a soul. Um, and Alan Turing actually answers that in the essay, and I don't necessarily agree with his answer, but his answer was, how can you prevent God from giving the machine a soul? <laughs> so it's, and then uh, the other thing is the, the machine doesn't have consciousness. It has no sense of continuity. So it doesn't have a past, a present, and it's not worried about the future. The machine is just running an algorithm. So it really, uh, it has no consciousness. And Turing's response was, we don't even understand consciousness, so how can you say that? Uh, but I think there's there's a lot of questions about what it what it means to be human and what it means to be sentient. They get wrapped up into this. But I think all of the AI ethics experts that I've read agree that these application specific mathematical models, which is what machine learning models are, it's just math, uh, some like weighted neurons in a network. Uh, these are not sentient. So there, there is broad agreement among experts in the field that what we're dealing with right now is not general artificial intelligence. And then we have a long way to go to get there.
0: So it's it sounds like at least in part, if we're going as Christians, we want to be engaged in this discussion. We need to understand the subtlety of the context that just because somebody says AI doesn't mean they're talking about you know like i said johnny 5 c3po type things and exactly in some instances it sounds like somebody could claim oh this is an artificial and general intelligence but that still not be may not be sentience so it seems like there's a lot of subtlety to this conversation that we it could be that whoever we're talking to has a different idea of what sentience and general intelligence and everything means anyway is that is that a reasonable way to look at it
1: yeah, I think it could. I certainly think if we talk about Blake Lemoyne later <laughs> and the whole thing at Google, we'll definitely get into that. right. Um, yeah, and and but kind of what I'm going for here, just to kind of I guess get us uh, get us back on track here, is what I want to do is describe some of the key ethical categories of artificial intelligence um and what Christians bring to the table, kind of in addition to those categories that have been created by secular institutions. And then walk through, talk about some of the context of artificial intelligence itself and show like discuss how we can apply these ethical categories in the context of artificial intelligence in the real world. So that's kind of where i'm where I'm going here.
0: yeah, so why don't why don't we get into that to uh, yeah. kind of outline yeah. some of those things for us. Yeah,
1: so um, the key, I really like Abhishek Gupta of the Montreal AI Ethics Institute. I really like uh, kind of his four categories for AI because in in my personal experience using artificial intelligence and evaluating AI systems, I really think these four categories are helpful. Uh, Those four categories are privacy and security, reliability and safety, fairness and inclusiveness, and transparency and accountability. So privacy and security, you know, is just, is your data that your this algorithm's training on, if they take an image of your face or if they take your private data about where you live or how much money you make, is that data safe or can someone steal it and get that information about you? Um, reliability and safety, can the algorithm be manipulated? So if you have a, a self-driving car, can a bad guy manipulate that and cause a wreck? Or um, can if you have an algorithm that's giving people loans, can someone manipulate that algorithm to deny a certain class of people loans? Um, that type of thing, fairness and inclusiveness. Are there any biases in the algorithm against specific groups of people? Um, so algorithms that tried to predict recidivism, there was a really famous instance where there was historical bias against people of color built into those algorithms because the historical data had that bias because people are biased. And so that was a huge problem that had to be remedied. So that's really what fairness and inclusiveness is. Are we being fair and inclusive to all people? And then transparency and accountability. Uh, transparency, as, as I'm sure you know, Jeff, can be a big issue with um, especially deep learning models. So for you viewers who, who don't know, machine learning, especially deep learning, can be very uh, not transparent. So you, you, it made a decision. It, it appears it made a good decision, the algorithm, but you don't know why. So you can't explain it. And in some applications, that's a huge problem. For example, medical applications. If an, an algorithm, a machine learning algorithm, says that you have heart disease, but it can't tell you why it thinks that, <laughs> that that doesn't necessarily help the doctor as much as it would if the doctor could know why the algorithm thought you had heart disease. So, uh, and then accountability. I mean, oh, go ahead, Jeff.
0: I was just say that that sounds like a pretty important. Uh, problem to sort through. Uh, you know, it, it might be good here if you could spend a little bit of time just kind of giving a little detail. How do these machine learning algorithms work? Uh, because I think that leads directly into that transparency and accountability problem. Because it makes it really hard to figure out what's going on inside the machine when it makes a decision.
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll do my best <laughs> I have to give an overview here. I do have a slide on this a little later, but.
0: OK, um, you can put it off till then if that's if that's if that's where, yeah,
1: I'll try to give a one or two sentence test. So so basically, deep learning works. You have a set of interconnected nodes, and each of those nodes has a weight. And what you're doing is you have this network of nodes, which originally was inspired by neurons in the brain, but it's not a one to one. So deep learning and machine learning don't work the way our brains do. That's not true. <laughs> they, they They were an attempt at imitation. But what happens is you take a set of training data. Um, so it could be a thousand images of cats and a thousand images of dogs. And then you train this neural network and it, you give it the correct answer. So you show it an image of a cat, true or false. Is it a cat or a dog? You show an image of a dog and it, it trains on that training data. And then after you've trained the network, the idea is you can now use it on unseen data. So you take a picture of a cat or a dog you've never seen before you give it to the network and it should be able to tell you with high confidence, yes, it's a cat or no, it's a dog. Mm -hmm. So that's like a very basic, you're training these networks. And the the reason it's not transparent is the, each of the nodes in this network has a weight. And when you're training it, what you're doing is you're adjusting all these weights in the network. Um, And that's all the network does. So the network has no abstract idea of cat or dog. It doesn't, know what a tail is or what what a nose is or whiskers the network just has weights it's just numbers and so like how do you as a human we think in abstract concepts so how do you take those weights and figure out like what parts of the image it's honing in on and there has been progress in this area so we've made progress but there's still ways to go
0: well it, it reminds me i know there's a fairly uh popular or well-known study of a an ai that was looking for the differences between huskies and wolves and you know the training data was put in uh, you know the huskies and then wolves and then the ai accurately got eight out of ten you know there was some number of images and then it used unlabeled un, uh, images and it got eight out of ten correct and you're you're thinking oh okay it's doing well and it turns out that all the husky, the training images had snow in the background, and all the wolves didn't. And it turned out the two that it missed was the one where the wolf was on the snow, and the snow, you know. And so it was doing something entirely unrelated to the wolves and the huskies to figure it out. So I think that kind of illustrates the your description of it. It's like okay, there are these weights there, not a thinking process, and so is exactly yeah. We, it, that, that's a pretty pretty substantial challenge. Uh, Inter- interesting things to worry about. So so how does that, go ahead, uh, kind of going back to your, your four points there. How is How do we think about these ethical issues when it comes to AI?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to give some case studies later. So I'm going to punt that just a little bit, because okay. I think it's going to make a lot more sense then. So let's kind of move on to some ethical principle, principles from scripture that can help us to think through um, kind of how, how we use AI ethically. The first one I think is stewardship. So as humans who are made in God's image in the garden of Eden, um, we were given the command to steward the earth, to take care of the earth. And I think a part of that is, is helping humans to flourish. So one of the really big questions we as Christians have to ask is, are we using AI in such a way that we're helping human flourishing or are we using AI for profit and gain (laughs) right and it it could be both those aren't necessarily contradictory but there's a good quote from c.s lewis where he says man's power over nature can become a power exercised by some men over other men with nature as its instrument right and so we don't want ai to become that instrument that we're using to oppress or exploit other people um, and the other thing, um, this is so that stewardship is the main one I'm going to talk about today. But if we're talking about general artificial intelligence, if we get to that later, um, I think the uniqueness of humanity in the Bible, in my personal opinion, is extremely significant mm-hmm. because we are the pinnacle of God's creation. You know, when, when God created man, he said, this is very good. He, he created us to have a relationship with him. And I think. As a Christian, uh, specifically, the idea that we could create an artificial being that would sort of supplant humans, uh, as some people, you know, from an evolutionary view, you might say the next stage in evolution is like man machine combinations or uh, like just machines. But the Bible says no, like we are God's unique creation. So I think stewardship and the uniqueness of humanity. And then one really quick point. Um, I just want to make, and there are a couple of quotes here on a slide, uh, but Jurgen Habermas is a German philosopher who's not Christian. Um, and he said, uh, for the normative self-understanding of modernity, Christianity has functioned as more than just a precursor or a catalyst, universalistic egalitarianism from which sprang the ideals of freedom and a collective life and solidarity, the autonomous conduct of life and emancipation the individual morality of conscience, human rights, and democracy is the direct legacy of the Judaic ethic of justice and the Christian ethic of love. And what he's basically saying is the, the root of human rights, which is where, why, why do AI ethics matter, right? Because we care about humans. That's really rooted in the Judeo-Christian ethic. And Tom Holland, who wrote the book, Dominion, he's a, he's a non-Christian historian, he argues that the, the idea of human rights historically can be traced back to Christianity. And he has a good quote that says, science cannot tell you what you ought to do, only what is. And so I think Christianity actually has, even if someone isn't Christian, I think the, the legacy of Christianity is extremely important to the ethics of AI because Christianity is really the foundation of Western ethics um, and human rights. So.
0: So no, I I think that's good, and I want to hear you know hear what else you have to say there. I am curious, you know, you going or just kind of a little brief tangent on your uniqueness of humanity point. Um, Yeah, I tend to agree with you that yeah that that there is a uniqueness. Oh, I agree that there's a uniqueness about humanity. Um, One of the questions that I do have, uh, and, and I love these questions about AI and you know that's why multiverse is their life in the universe because it forces me to think theologically well and go back and understand my theology better. do you think it is possible that um, that God in creating us in his image has given us the capacity to create things in a, in similarly So might it be possible to create God has given us the capacity to create soulish beings because that's part of being made in his image?
1: Yeah, so I think it would depend on your theology. And uh, right. I'll tell you, so, so as the audience, and you're probably well aware, some Christians, so Christians believe different things about what it means to have a soul. So some Christians believe that without the body, you can't have a soul, That is, so, mm-hmm. that like your, your existence is bound up in the combination of your body and your spirit um some christians believe in uh your spirit or soul and body being two separate things and when you die your soul or spirit goes to be with god this is probably my view and then you know your body is not necessarily essential to who you are even though it's kind of your vehicle (laughs) you know your brain helps you think and that kind of thing and there are other views too but i think if if you hold the view that um the soul or the spirit is not something separate that that really your soul is just kind of an outworking of your brain and your Mm -hmm. everything working together, then I I think you could make an argument that you could create a soulish being in the sense that it imitated what humans are. Now, my opinion is, uh, my opinion, right? Uh, But if, if you believe the spirit or the soul is a separate thing that God imbues, I think it's harder to make that argument because um, Turing's point right Turing said who are you to say that god wouldn't give a machine a soul mm-hmm. um so that's kind of his counter argument um, but, but personally i don't find that very convincing I, I really think that the scriptures emphasize the uniqueness of of who we are um, but so you could make that argument yes depending on your view of
0: no body, fair soul. point and and that's what you know your 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 discussion parallels a lot of the discussions i have is it you know th- this really does Christians have thought about what does it mean to have a soul and how is the soul propagated and is it a traducian or is it a creationist perspective I mean there's a lot of thought that Christians have put into this and you know Christians take a lot of different views on that but uh yeah I, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on what you think might be and what might not be there so go go back and uh, you
1: know yeah come yeah. back so n- kind
0: of, a little bit and yeah, get back to your yeah no fun
1: fun <laughs> tangent Jeff Yeah, so uh, the next, so we've looked at ethical categories of AI, what Christianity brings to the table, and now we're going to look at the context of artificial intelligence. So this is one of the big points. As a Christian, you need to be thinking about AI ethics. You need to be involved, because our perspective is important. The next thing is, what are the contexts of artificial intelligence? And Dr. David Clark, a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Lab, uh, He was talking about encryption, but he makes the point about how important context is for the ethics of technology. And what he says is it's one thing to conclude that encryption is gonna shift power balances and another to then design the technology to preclude bad behaviors by its users. There should definitely be a sense of awareness during the more abstract exploration phase. And here's the the important part. (laughs) But it's not until you get closer to a specific application that you need to think through the ethical implications. You're going to have to rectify problems as they emerge in each context on a case-by-case basis. I think this is a really important point because what he's saying is if, if you use a technology like AI or machine learning for driving a car, the ethics are very different for that than it is for you know, deciding what movies somebody watches mm-hmm. or deciding if they get a loan or not. Those are all specific contexts. And you, you really have to be in the context to think about the ethics. Now, now next slide. So I do have a slide slide called the mini, oh, Go ahead.
0: So is you, is your point in there that we can't just say oh here's the here's the ethics we have to think about when we're developing AI that that there may be general principles or we've got to be thinking you know kind of bigger picture, but there's a reality that each each individual type of AI, and these are these narrow intelligences that we're talking about at this point, I presume, that we need yeah. to be thinking about that in that specific AI. So there may not be this universal principle that applies to every or this law that applies to everything, but each one we have to think about, okay, what's going on here and how do we do it well?
1: Exactly. Okay. You got, I don't even need to say anything. Yeah, exactly. And I, it'll make more sense here in just a second. I'm going to get to uh, some case studies. Um, so... At this point, I'm gonna talk about the context of of AI itself. So when you're you're developing an AI model, and there are more contexts than this, but for simplicity's sake, I'm gonna use four. And in in my opinion, these are the big four. So let's go back to the cat or dog image identification problem. Um, You have four contexts. You have the problem, is this a cat or a dog? We wanna make a model that solves that problem. So the problem itself is a context. You have the labeled data. So the labeled data are all the images of cats and dogs you used to train the model. And as you mentioned, you know, the wolf uh, versus the husky, the, the labeled data had some issues or the way the model ingested the labeled data. So labeled data is an important context. Mm. You have the model itself. So the, the actual algorithm that you're using, whether it's deep learning or some other machine learning model, that model is a context. So that's third context. Fourth context is new data. So whenever you take a new image of a cat or a dog, that's another context. And you have to keep this in mind because, for example, your labeled data might come from a different distribution than your new data. right? And that's an issue. Oh, right. okay. um, but, but I'm going to jump into an example here. So we've got those four contexts: problem, labeled data, model and then new data. And there's a slide for that um, for the tech guys there. So here's the case study. Let's say, and keep in mind, so this this would be a potential application as a Christian tech company, potentially. So let's say that we have 10,000 people's spiritual history data. Somehow we got a hold of 10,000 people's spiritual histories, all the information about what books they read, who they talked to, how they grew, their prayer life, their Bible reading life. That's our labeled data. And we want to create a discipleship app, all right? And what we're going to do with this app is we if we can get one year of a person's spiritual history, then we can make suggestions about how to disciple them. So we've trained on a set of people's discipleship data, and now we're gonna to try to create this AI discipleship app that mm-hmm. can help us to disciple people, make wiser decisions about how we disciple people. Um, and we're gonna think through the ethics of this using these different contexts and the ethical categories that we discussed.
0: Can I say that me, it's a little terrifying to think of an AI doing that instead of a person doing it in the first place?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that, that's great, Jeff, because that's the <laughs> first point. So <laughs> first context is the problem. And you're, you're spot on, Jeff. Um, stewardship. You know, should we use AI for this problem? And that's exactly the reason I think this is a great example. Um, we don't have to use AI. <laughs> so maybe this is a bad idea to use AI for discipleship. Uh, but some of the que- like more specific questions under stewardship, what if we rely too much on the algorithm and not enough on the spirit of God, mm-hmm. right? And so there's actually a question of maybe it's not wrong to use the algorithm, but there is a danger there that maybe we become too reliant on that instead of on the work of God's spirit and that relationship and in the community and in our lives. I mean, so stewardship, right? Is there a better way? Should we use it? So that's the problem context. Now we have the labeled data. And in the labeled data, we're going to start to apply some of these ethical categories. So first one, privacy and security. Are we keeping those 10,000 people's data and the people who give their new data, are we keeping it private? Are we keeping it secure? Is it encrypted? Where is it stored? Who can access it? You know, is there any personally identifiable information that could compromise them? How long are we going to store it? You know, if you store that data forever, it's more vulnerable to being hacked or stolen. So that's a privacy and security issue. Again, privacy and security. Do we have the approval to use this data? Mm -hmm. And this is a huge issue in AI ethics because people steal your data all the time when you're surfing the web, right? And if we're talking about a discipleship app, you might have gotten this data from who knows what church in what area. But, you know, is it do you have permission to use that? Mm-hmm. And then there's things like fairness and inclusiveness. If we train this data on a bunch of white men from Wheaton <laughs> or you know, Caucasian people, and then we try to apply it in Brazil or in some third world country, there's a lot of bias because maybe mm-hmm. like white guys from Wheaton don't grow in the same way that people from another culture do, right? So that's, that's a fairness and inclusiveness issue. And then um, transparency and accountability. Um, One of the big things, you know, have we done basic exploratory data analysis to understand things just like what you said with the husky and the wolf, you know, do we understand the data of these 10,000 people enough that we trust we can train the model accurately so that, you know, it will actually work, you know, is there missing data, you know, and all those types of things and that that's so that's the labeled data context and those are some of the issues that would come up.
0: Well, and, you know, your your description, I, I love that question about do we understand what's going on, because, you know, I, I, I look at that in the context of chess playing programs. Um, you know, the original chess playing programs, you know, eventually they figured out how to beat the grandmasters. But now, I mean, the chess playing programs are so much better than humans that there, there's no point in playing them anymore. So clearly the AI knows how to play chess better than what we do. But it's not like you can ask a question. Oh, why did you make that move? And so, you, you, this get, as that gap between what the AI can do and our understanding increases, how do you how do you deal with that? Because clearly, it knows something better, but is it know it because of something that's good, bad, or other? I, you know, it, that, that's that to me is going to be a big ethical problem that we have to figure out how to deal with.
1: Yep. Well, that's a great question. Cause that's actually the next context. That's the model context. Okay. So we've looked at the problem. We've looked at the label data. That's a model. And what I think one of the answers people have come up with for that is you have to have humans in the loop. Okay. So, um, you know, if you keep a human in the loop for these types of decisions and medical, medical decisions is a great example. It's not like the doctor is still going to look at the images, even if the AI algorithm classifies it. And as long as the doctor is, being ethical and not just relying on the algorithm, they're thinking through it, they're doing their own analysis, and you have a human in the loop, then the AI augments humans instead of replacing them. Mm -hmm. And this is a really key point, I think, for people to take away is that in a lot of contexts, it's really better for artificial intelligence and machine learning to augment us instead of replace us.
0: So, it, I mean, th- there's. I, I I agree with what you're saying, and it's like in my ideal world, that's the way it would work. Um, how do we actually make that happen? Uh, you know, there, there's there there was part of me that just said, okay, there there's a lot of peril that AI brings. I think there's a lot of promise, but I don't know that in the way our society works that we're ready for it yet. So like I like say, all right, well maybe you can put some brakes on it. Well. I was watching a program and China is just all in on AI. I mean, I can't just say, okay, as the United States, we're going to back off because there's more powers to be than just the United States and deciding what's going on. How do you, how do we say we want to keep humans in the loop? Not everybody wants to have humans in the loop. They think the AIs would do better. How do we navigate that as Christians?
1: Yeah. So um, I, the, the best answer I've seen, and this applies beyond artificial intelligence to encryption and other things is at some point to force people to play fair, you have to have government regulation.
0: Okay. Um,
1: now, the question of if you, if you give somebody an AI that gives them an answer, are they gonna be ethical? Are they just gonna get lazy and use it all the time? To me, that's a research question. So I'm a researcher. <laughs> <laughs> um, in order to know the answer to that for any given problem you need to do an experiment right you need to you need to say we're going to give doctors an ai we're going to give disciples christians who are doing discipleship this discipleship ai and we're going to do you know a test we're going to we're going to study it and we're going to see if people become too reliant on it because mm-hmm. you know as a scientist my response is until you observe the tool being used in context, you don't know what's gonna happen. You you may have, I may have an assumption, you may have an assumption, but we have to observe it. Um, And then government regulation. So government regulation can really make a difference, um, especially when you're dealing with big tech companies who are pushing AI forward, uh, Mm -hmm. because the smaller companies have to compete. And if the big companies are cheating, then, no one's going to play fair. You know, no one's going to do the right thing because at the end of the day, they have to stay they have to make money. <laughs> right, right. And so what government regulation can do is it can kind of equalize the playing field. So I would say one of the things we need in the to get ethical AI is the right government regulation in place
0: mm-hmm. so you know, even that, I, I see some challenge. I'll throw out a scenario. I'm curious how you would respond. Um. Uh, we did a program, Star Cells and God program, not too long ago, where we were talking about uh, satellites being launched into space, and uh, you know, Elon Musk has his Starlink cluster. Uh, you know, that, that's a relatively small cluster. There are bigger clusters out there. Well, all of these satellites impinge on radio band, radio bands. You know, the, we, we've decided. 40, 50 years ago, okay, these are the bands that we can use and these are the ones that we can't. Well, as astronomy has progressed, we now need to be able to use some of those other bands. And so the decision that was good at the Mm -hmm. time, 40, 50 years later is no longer applicable. And so I could see where, yeah, you do the tests and you find that, okay, doctors do this or that using the AI, but 40 years in, the, the mores have changed, the general population thinks differently, whatever, the training. It, it, how do you, you know, the moment you put a government regulation in place, that's really hard to change. You know, so how, how do you, how have you, what do you think about that issue? Or how would you, what do, what do you see as ethics playing into how, how does ethics come into play there?
1: Yeah, so that's a really difficult question to answer, <laughs> Jeff. That's, I, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, because if you go back to the internet, uh, when the internet was created, there's so many problems. Um, that So security was not built into the internet. So one of the reasons the internet's so vulnerable and has so many issues is security was not first on their list of things they needed to do when DARPA was building their little experimental network, you know. And um, so I think you have to try to build in and I don't have an answer to this but this is my common sense answer I don't I don't know how you do this in government regulation but what you should do is do a study every so many years to determine if things have changed and then update them right that's that's a healthy that's what that's what research is supposed to do so if you're researching medical AI the ethics of it new studies new research studies will come out every like a batch of them every three to five five to ten years t- taking into account that change and so that's the way it should happen i have no idea how you actually get people to do that so
0: no that's a fair point and quite honestly i think we've been dealing with that since the since adam and eve wrestled in the garden <laughs> <of> eden so <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it, it sounds like there. it's this strikes me as a place where uh Judeo-Christian ethics and what the Bible has to say about how to do things has a great capacity to allow us to use the benefits of AI while mitigating the dangers of it. Um, and you, know, and you, you mentioned a number of times worldview is important. Um, uh how, where do you see this playing out in the next few years? I mean, I, you know, I've kind of thrown it back to you, uh, just to, to get your, you know, we're going to wrap up here and not too long. Uh, you know, what, what are your, what other thoughts do you have on these, these types of topics here?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, so just, uh, just to kind of finish up here. So, um, there are, People have actually started, there's a company. I'm not, this is not a <laughs> commercial, but they're called Virtuous AI. And I don't know whether they're good or bad, but they actually offer ethical AI as a service. Hmm. And I think this is really interesting. So you can take your data or your model and you just hand it to them. Um, presumably they have a secure environment to test it in. I don't know that. But they they help you with explainability, understanding why your model makes decisions. They give your model a virtue index score that tells you how much bias is in it, how much bias is not in it. And they also have AI advice. So they do consulting. Now, I have no idea if this is a good company or not, Jeff, but that I, I think there's a recognition that ethical AI is a problem uh-huh. um, and that we need to do more. And of course, if you want to talk briefly about Blake LeMoyne and the, the Google Lambda AI, you know, we can hop onto that if we have time. But yeah, I I think the community knows this is an issue. There are companies popping up who are trying to address it. And so definitely, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm realistic in the sense that AI is going to be abused, but I'm also optimistic in the sense that there are people, both Christian and non-Christian, who care about AI ethics and who are trying to do something about it.
0: One last question before we wrap up here. Uh, you know, I, I, as technology throughout human history has always advanced, I mean, you know, you go back and, oh, when bicycles were introduced, that changed things. When cars, when radios, and you know, what, whatever it is, there's always been something new in there. Um, do you think AI is just the latest example of that and will adjust and adapt? Or do you have us? do you, have a position, and and this is my position is why I'm asking this specific question, that it seems like AI is a big enough, uh, powerful enough tool that it may be so big or so powerful that we need to be extra careful with it. So yes, when we introduced cars or the internet, okay, that was a new thing, and Uh, yeah, we adapted and figured out how to use it pretty well. Um, But I know a lot of people who've been won the lottery, they've just gotten far more, a far bigger tool than they were capable of handling. And there was a lot of carnage, even well-intentioned in their use uh, in what they wanted to do with it. It just caused a lot of damage. Where would you put AI in your assessment uh, at, at this point?
1: Yeah, so I would say that AI is 100% at least on this at the same level of innovation and change as the internet itself so I would put it at least that high I I'm a little bit because if you think about the way the internet changed the world starting in the late 1980s I mean it was a fundamental shift in the way that people communicated Mm -hmm. we suddenly you know as as the internet developed we had instantaneous access to information The internet enabled innovations like the smartphone, like always on, you know, it changed the way that we as humans engage with one another in the world. And I would say that artificial intelligence will be at it just as groundbreaking and it is being just as groundbreaking. And so I would put it at that level. I'm a little bit more skeptical um, of AI as it currently exists to put it beyond the internet. So personally, I would say, yeah, definitely equivalent equivalent to the internet, but unless uh, you know the singularity happens and we get R2D2, which I don't think it's going to, frankly, but um, that's my personal opinion. It, I think in 40 to 50 years, we might have, it could be sooner, and I don't know who's working on it, but we could get something that looks to us like a general artificial intelligence, but I, I think it could be hundreds of years or never before we actually experience a true singularity where a machine has consciousness, and that's kind of where I would put that.
0: Very good. so one one final question for you here. Um, do you think that AIs we could build an AI that can do hu- virtually all human level activity as well as or better than humans? Yeah, um, regardless of whether we're talking sentient or not, but just a general enough AI that has enough capacities like that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have no idea. yeah, definitely for specific tasks that's already been demonstrated. I mean, um ai can do a lot of things better than humans um at least to a certain degree you know there's sometimes there are edge cases where it fails but i definitely think yes we can create ai that can imitate humans that can outperform them at many tasks um i actually think one of the limitations right now is robotics and you know, battery life, <laughs> things like that. But you know, as robotics gets, uh, gets better, you know, in terms of, I think that then you apply the AI in the context of the robotics. And then, yeah, I think most things humans can do, um, there are hard things like um, language and images, but we're obviously making huge progress there, but we're not there. So just to be clear, even the best language models still are not at human level yet. So there are certain things the human brain is wired to do really well while working on it. But I I do think in the next 10, 20 years we could get there definitely.
0: Well, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate your comments. This has been a fun discussion today, and uh hopefully people have found it interesting. You know, I do just want to remind people Sean is one of the members of our scholar community and uh just really appreciate his joining us today. And thank you for joining us on Star Cells and God. And join the discussion in the comments below. And remember to like this video to subscribe for more content. New episodes of Star Cells and God are released here. Thursday and on YouTube and your favorite app podcast, uh, podcast app. Be sure to share the video with a friend and remember the more we know about science, the more we have reasons to believe.